Welcome to the e-commerce growth show brought to you by Segmentify. Hello everyone, this is Carlos again with Evolve uh, for another episode of the um, e-commerce growth show brought to you by Segmentify with our amazing uh, business influencer here in North America, Scott Emans. And today we are interviewing uh, Veronica Sunset. So, uh, so Scott, you're most welcome to introduce her and we'll get started. Great, all right, appreciate it, uh, Carlos. Uh, so uh, welcome, uh, Veronica, and uh, well, we're excited uh, about the opportunity to get to chat with you today uh, and see, you know, what you've been up to and how you got here and, you know, uh, all those things. So uh, let's start off with your bio, uh, you know, so our listeners uh, uh, know something about your background. Uh, uh, so a consultant, a speaker, a connector in the retail uh, industry, and, and I've... Uh, certainly experienced your connector uh, function uh, uh, in the past uh, and have managed to meet some very interesting uh, folks, thanks to you. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, she leads the retail practice for Chameleon Collective and is also a contributor to Forbes. Um, that seems to be a very popular uh, thing in the bio for my guests. I mean, I need to figure out how to get that gig, how I can be a contributor to Forbes. <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, you know, how, uh, uh, let's see, you, you are also an entrepreneur and founder uh, of a company that exited, uh, that was around 2015 or so, I think, uh, uh, that was InSpark. Yeah. Uh, and prior to that, uh, was an executive at AOL and uh, another startup, uh, JumpCap, yeah. uh, uh, as well. Uh, and uh, also founder of an organization called Embolden that we'll, we'll touch upon, I think, during our conversation uh, today, which was formerly called uh, Women in Wireless. That's uh, right. So welcome. Thank you for having me. It's, I'm, I'm thrilled to be on, on the show with you guys today. Great, great. Um, so uh, let's, uh, let's get started. Uh, and, you know, I, I had uh, the opportunity to do one of these shows with uh, Brian Solis uh, uh, a couple of weeks back. Uh, and, you know, when I was talking to Brian, you know, I asked him the question, did he believe that all dark matter in the universe could be actually primordial black holes? Don't ask me that question. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, well, he refused to answer as well. So, I mean, I was going <laughs> to modify it for you and just ask, so what if dark matter does not exist at all? Then what? <laughs> okay. So that was purposely nonsensical uh, to start off the interview with. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about <laughs> where you came from, uh, and uh, let's so let's go back to uh, uh, your early career, uh, you know, and uh, you know your training ground, right, if you will, right. Uh, so AOL and uh, uh, your time at JumpTap, and you know, how did that influence you, and 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 how did that lead to you founding your own company? Sure, Scott, I'm happy to talk about that. I, I really look at my career kind of being at least at this point in two phases, like the first phase of my career was very much on in the media and advertising space. Um, minus like a very short blip in consulting right out of school, but but I spent a lot of time at AOL. And then I and I spent a lot of time at JumpTap afterwards. And, you know, the, the thing that I've always done is I've always been on the business side of technology. So at AOL, I um, worked my way up through a, a very aggressive and um, interesting biz dev organization. Um, it gave me an opportunity to do big deals with really interesting companies. 
um, including the timematch.com. I guess they're still around more than AOL. Okay. Um, <laughs> and Univision and all kinds of really interesting companies. Um, and, and then, you know, I had kind of done some soul searching, decided that for me, um, what I loved about being at AOL was the early days when I could really make a big impact. And as the company got bigger, I felt like the impact that I could make wasn't as substantial. So I went to an earlier stage company called JumpTap. And actually this is kind of gonna be a theme that you'll hear in my intro. JumpTap was originally doing white label search for phones. They pivoted, they became a mobile ad network. Um, and the first place where we launched ads was actually in Spain. I went over <laughs> um, to Spain with like, really, you know, I don't speak a word of Spanish, um, trying to figure out how to sell this new product called mobile advertising in the Spanish market. It was, it was pretty amazing, but it was successful and it helped them pivot into this area. Um, and I loved, you know, working for them and getting that going and then kind of decided maybe took almost too much credit for, <laughs> for that success and, and said, I want to launch my own company. And also, became a pivot. I initially wanted to launch a consumer product that kind of pivoted into this B2B product that became Inspark. And, um, and that kind of like was the second chapter to my career, which was really kind of going into retail and being more of an entrepreneur as opposed to an employee at an earlier stage company. Um, I learned a lot running my own company. I would say, um, you know, Inspark was acquired, but it wasn't a huge success. Um, and, and I learned a lot through the process and what it takes to kind of build software and get software in a market. And um, I, I, I really fell in love with the retail industry. I think it's kind of in a place where media was when I was in the media industry before. It's in a huge transition. And I find when things are changing to be very interesting. So um, it, when Inspark was sold, I kind of stayed in retail. I became a consultant, helped other technology companies who are in a very similar position to us go into market. And then um, realized that, you know, one of my clients was a conference, realized that a lot of what I, the way that I market is around relationships and, and, um, giving people a platform. And, you know, we ended up launching commerce next out of, out of that opportunity. So it's, it's been a great journey. I got to meet amazing people like Scott in the process. And, um, I get to work on really interesting challenges in an industry that's changing very quickly. Yeah. I think we, I think, did we not meet, at first, it was like a brand collective event and brand garage. Yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. I think it's the brand collective was their event, and it was a brand garage event. And um, yeah, it was one of the first kind of conference projects I worked on as a consultant. Um, and you know, that's where that, that event was important to me. You know, besides you know getting to hang out in Napa Valley for a couple of days, which was was pretty cool. The uh, uh, you know, I got I got connected with a couple of other kind of innovation leaders. Uh, 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 yeah, like Dana, Dana, and, and uh, also uh, from Coach, and uh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, my memo me pals were there. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, we had to. You know, that was a pretty good conference. I mean, it was memorable uh, yeah. and useful. Uh, you know what I what I took away from that. So uh, uh, that's you know part of that connector uh, uh, role that you have. Uh, you know, I think uh, you know it was even uh, uh, evident back then. Um, and a lot's changed, right, since 2016. Yeah. I, I, I'd have to say. Um, We're you know, all virtual. I, we don't meet in person anymore. We do this. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's, uh, I don't know how long you've, uh, you've I, I've been in, you know, sort of uh, work from home mode since uh, the end of February. 
Uh, so it's, uh, uh, you know, coming up on a year, it feels like forever. Can't wait yeah. to get here, uh, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. I've been in the same boat. I think the last in-person event we had um, was like a dinner in, in either February or early March, but mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's another interesting, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, 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 a couple of other very memorable events I did with you were these dinners uh, uh, that would get thrown in New York during NRF, Yeah. you know, where you sort of brought this amazing collection of, uh, you know, retail minds, uh, you know, together to just, to just chat, right, you know, to just have good conversations. Those were, those were also really interesting events. I have a unique uh, well, I mean, I think at Commerce Next, we fundamentally feel like it, we're a community, like the events are just our execution of community. Sorry, I thought I turned off all my slacks. Uh, <laughs> apparently not. Um, but yeah, we look at ourselves as a community and, and, um, and we, you know, I think that there's a, there's a really, um, there's a number of ways people can connect. A conference has certain people on the top of the stage and they're kind of sharing information and other people absorbing and networking. And then dinners are more of an informal, they're almost like a round table, right? You know, as Scott can attest, having attended a dinner, um, they're just as, you learn just as much from the person sitting next to you as you do for like people also go around the table and share information. So there's two goals in that. There's a the goal of networking and then there's the goal of sharing information because everything is changing and evolving so quickly. And I think we learn a lot from our internal teams, but we also learn a lot from our peers. And the one thing that's unique, particularly in, in the retail industry, is you have a lot of companies. Um, there are thousands of retailers out there, and there's people who are in similar roles and have similar challenges. And there's no point in everyone having to reinvent the wheel. Like you can learn from your peers, you know, who did you use for the solution? Did you try this kind of advertising? How did it work? You know, which projects are most relevant? So like, we're just, we're trying to, to help accelerate that learning and that information sharing at the same time, help you kind of build long lasting connections that will help you kind of take your career forward. I think if we can achieve those two things, it's a really successful venture. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, I think that, you know, go attending events like uh, the, the the kind you're organizing these days were were a big part of my inspiration, right? You know, when I was out looking for what was the next big thing, you know, on the innovation side uh, uh, in retail, you know, just hanging out inside my own four walls, talking to internal teams uh, uh, was not going to give enough uh, creative fuel, right, yeah. uh, to get it done. You needed more than that. Yeah, absolutely. So... Yeah. You're head of the retail practice at Chameleon Collective. What, is, what, is, what does that mean? What are you guys doing? So first of all, um, you know, Chameleon Collective is a hybrid between a consulting firm and a marketing services firm. So we're not an agency and we're not exactly consultants, but we're somewhere in between. A lot of times we start with interim, with interim leadership roles. So we'll come in when um, you know, a, an exec has departed or a company needs an exec to depart. Uh, or they just are trying to bolster their digital practice and maybe don't have that senior exec in place at all, ever. Um, and then what we'll do is we'll, from there, kind of build out a team. So think of us as like, you need to run really fast in a certain direction. You bring us in, we help stabilize things. We help bring in a team of people that will initially be consultants. And then we'll slowly replace ourselves with full-time people that can actually continue to run the business once we're gone. Um, 
and we've been doing this very successfully across a number of industries, though retail is about 40% of our business. And my role is really like, I joke around that I'm like the supreme cat herder. <laughs> you know, I've tried to get everyone on calls and collaborate. Consulting can be a very lone wolf type of business. And, and, you know, we really think the magic happens when we work together. So I'm trying to get us to work together and bring people on a call and make sure that everyone knows what, what people are working on so that they can see opportunities for, for their colleagues on those projects and um, try to look for opportunities for us to be able to grow our practice. Well, you're basically uh, practicing what you preach at that point, uh, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, getting inspiration outside of your own, uh, you know, sort of uh, comfort zone. Yeah, absolutely. And we always do that, like Slack, which is why I like my little alarms are going off. I mean, it's a big thing, right? You, you know, it's, a, it's exactly the same thing. You know, a lot of times the problems are the same. People may have approached them in a different way, but we'll kind of pull our, our internal teams and we'll say, okay, this, this company, they really have an NPS challenge. Has anyone worked on NPS? What tools did you use for NPS? You know, how do, how do you implement it within the organization? And then collect all of that information, kind of synthesize best practices, and then work with their unique situation to implement a solution that is relevant for them. And then, and then you know, I guess, uh, you know, we should, you know, touch on Commerce Next uh, specifically, uh, since uh, you are actively involved uh, and a co-founder uh, of that organization uh, as well. Um, and uh, uh, so what are you, what are you working on day-to-day uh, uh, -day at Commerce Next? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, Commerce Next is really my baby. It's where the, I actually spend the majority of my time these days. Um, so with Commerce Next, my focus is, is really on um, building the community. And, and as part of that, I'm responsible for the content and, and recruiting speakers. So um, we all, there's three co-founders, myself, Scott Silverman, and Alan Dick. We all work very closely together and share a lot of um, roles and responsibilities. But, you know, we always say who's got the, who's on point, right? So I'm on point for content. Um, and that's kind of my, my focus area. Um, Scott's on, put on point for sponsorships and research and Alan's on point for our operations. Yeah. And then, you know, I guess uh, Scott and uh, Alan, but, you know, have kind of this NRF uh, background. Uh, is that where you guys uh, uh, connected up, you know, from their roles there? Or, or was it a different way that uh, you came together as a team? You know, so I actually met Scott Silverman from um, my, my co-founder from InSpark, Richie Hecker. Um, so um, totally random. And I met um, Alan Dick at, at shop.org. But we worked together on a different conference um, and then, you know, really had a good working relationship. I think we complement each other really well. And, and yep. so decided to, to launch this together. Interesting, the, you know, here, you know, I, I had worked with both of them, you know, and their NRF roles as a, you know, from a speaker perspective. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah, got it. Okay, um, so, you know, the last, you know, sort of historical thing is tell me uh, about Embolden. Uh, you know, and, you know, when did that start and, and, and what's the state of it now? You know, when I kind of look at their website, you know, looked at the website, you know, you know, sort of getting ready for today, uh, uh, you know, it looks, uh, you know, maybe not, it's not at front, forefront right now, uh, but, you know, maybe I'm reading that wrong. Oh, so like, so it's actually a really exciting time for Embolden. Um, Embolden was just acquired by another um, women's nonprofit called She Runs I saw, It. Which is I saw that. Yep. Yeah. So um, we started in Bolden, um, gosh, over 10 years ago. Um, yeah. So it, when I was at JumpTap, it was focused on, and actually even my last year as an AOL, 
we're very much focused on on mobile. And mobile is, uh, I don't know, Scott, if you, like mobile is a very, very male dominated event. We used to go to these conferences and you would just see a sea of men. Like, like literally, I think all of the women in mobile knew each other and we could probably fill like a conference table. It wasn't like, there wasn't a lot of us. Um, so, huh? I said it was a boys club. It was definitely, it was a very male dominated field. So, um, you know, we, we started it originally as Women in Wireless as a way to help um, really promote women in the industry. Like we really wanted to, um, one, take the few of us that, that were in the industry and connect us. And we knew that more and more women would be going into the industry as mobile became um, a platform for the internet because there was already a lot of women in digital, but there weren't a lot of women in mobile because it was more technical. Um, and we wanted to create a platform to really champion women. So, you know, I started it, it was originally, um, I want to kind of put like one footnote in it. It was originally founded by Laura Marriott in the MMA, but when Laura Marriott left the MMA, the, that committee died with it. Charlotte Forbes and, Forbes and I, um, we revived that committee, launched it as a, as a committee within the Mobile Marketing Association, and then it grew so popular that we spun it out and founded it as a standalone company. So that's what happened 10 years ago. Um, it, it's always been run by volunteers. We made our money with sponsorship dollars from the companies that worked in the industry. Um, we would continue to grow, but it was like just running on a very um, spirited and mighty group of volunteers. And we felt like ultimately we needed reinforcements. And so um, we, we started talking to folks this year about who would be the right partner to take us forward. We also had broadened the focus from mobile because now mobile, everything is mobile first and digital and mobile are all blurred to being a broader digital focus. And she runs it was an organization that we identified like right from the beginning as a really great partner for us. And that was because they had, um, their, their focus is, they started out as advertising women of New York. Their focus is on digital, um, particularly on the media side of things, which is where a lot of our strength is. And so um, we decided to merge the two organizations and um, it's, it's really exciting because we have a lot more kind of staff support for what we're trying to do, gives our volunteers a little bit more firepower in terms of what they're trying to accomplish and still furthers our, our mission, which is to champion women in the industry. So we're, we're really happy with it. So that's, that's really, really interesting. And uh, I'm glad we got to, uh, to, to bring it or uh, to, uh, to talk about it. So if, if you think about, you know, the retail industry as a whole, do you, do you think that, uh, you know, I guess a constant, you know, a topic when you're just following the news, uh, you know, and, and this, you know, kind of the issues of the day is, has always been, uh, uh, a uh, you know, not enough women in leadership positions, right? You know, in, as as a general, you know, as a general term, do, do you think that is a, a problem that's as prevalent in the retail world? So I I actually think the retail world is is better than most industries. But I would I would definitely I don't I don't know if I have to look at I think there's areas like the boards where I think there's still probably not enough women participating at that level. I would have to look at the statistics on the CEO level. My gut tells me that there's probably less women in the CEO role than there are men, 
but when you kind of go to like the CMO and the C level, I think that that retail get starts to look better. Um, you have a lot of heavy hitters in the retail industry that are women that have really led the charge very, very successfully. Um, and then you have a lot of women founders, like companies like Stitch Fix with Katrina Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Mindy Grossman at the helm of, of, of WW. You, you know, you have CMOs like Melissa Thalberg at, the, at running the, the marketing org at Lowe's. You have a lot of really amazing heavy hitters in our industry. Deborah, yeah, from Sephora, who's speaking at our upcoming Commerce Next Marketing Summit series. So I think um, there, there's, there's a lot of very um, smart, capable women in our industry. And I think they're in very senior roles. I would probably... I, w- I would love to see them more in the CEO and the board level as well. Yeah, you know, I guess I lived this kind of sheltered life uh, for a bit. You know, that 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 sixteen year stand at Neiman Marcus. Oh, that's we, right. We had we had a we had a, a, a Karen Katz as our CEO for Karen's most, amazing. Yeah, most of my time, not the whole time, uh, but most of my time there. Uh, and then you know, a ton of the C suite were women. Uh, a lot of the SVPs were women. You know, everybody I reported to was a woman. Uh, you know, so I just, you know, kind of got used to that being the norm, uh, you know, and I, I think really, you know, in a way, retail is kind of an outlier, you know, in, in yeah. terms of you know, what, you, what you find in other industries. So, yeah, for sure. I think it's, if you compared like retail to, um, to like tech, for example, it, you probably see way more women in C-suite roles than you do in, in like technology companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my early career was uh, Unix. Techno, you know, doing Unix and Unix technology, I, I can tell you that, you know, typically, you know, things that I did in that world, there were no women. None. None. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, it, was a, it was, it was, a, you know, could be weird at times. Um, okay. So let's, let's change uh, gears a little bit, you know, and, you know, one of the, you know, the, the, the great things you do at Commerce Next, right, is you guys, you know, go out and gather information right, you know, about, you know, kind of the state of the industry and, and you're connected directly, uh, you know, with the movers and shakers, you know, that, that uh, you know, have all that relevant uh, uh, information, right? right? Yeah. Uh, and you're able to tie it together, uh, you know, in very, uh, you know, useful and interesting ways. So let's, let's talk about, you know, since this, you know, 2020, you know, was, you know, was a very difficult year uh, and based on, you know, we're recording this, uh, you know, in early January 2021. And, you know, based on, you know, the early January events, 2021 is going to be another difficult year if it keeps going like this. Uh, but uh, uh, 2020 was certainly, uh, you know, a challenging year, especially, uh, uh, you know, for retail. Uh, so give us some uh, of uh, the insights you guys have gathered uh, on what happened, you know, and what's going to happen. Uh, um. Well, yeah. So I'll tell you kind of maybe before we even talk about what's happened and what's going to happen, I'll tell you what we've been doing since the start of the pandemic to try to help capture this information. So when the pandemic hit, like we're a live events business, right? Everything we did was in person. Um, When the pandemic hit, the one thing that we kind of heard from our community really quickly was everyone wanted information. No one knew what anyone else was doing, what their what their practices were for closing stores when they were closing stores, how would their e-commerce businesses were doing in comparison when all of this like there was so many unknowns. Most people have never gone through a pandemic like this before. I don't think anyone has. So what we were doing. Most of us were not alive in uh, 1918. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, Right. 
Maybe if they did business in China, they knew what it was like. Um, but you know, the, you know, what we did right away was we started launching surveys. So we took our community and we, and we would survey them. And they, you know, before everything was shut down, we were asking people, you know, about their work from home practices, how their retail and e-commerce businesses were doing, what they were um, seeing as as um, trends and consumer behavior, and then you know. And then things shut down, and then we kind of kept a pulse on on how sales were doing on ecom and and in on um, and in store. What should well at the time they didn't have stores, so things shut down and just ecom. And then when stores reopened, we were asking them about how ecom and stores were doing and how their reopening process was going. So we've been you know periodically keeping a pulse on what the retailers are doing, and then sharing that out as a way of information. And it's been an interesting. I mean, I think if you if you follow the news, you've been you've been seeing it all, right? So the industry um, went through lockdown, so all these stores closed. Ecom was the big hero. Ecom had tremendous growth this year, um, and then, um, but in in some cases, it depends on what category you were in. The overall business was really was really strong, but in other cases just based on demand, you know, the business was very weak. And so um, it's been all over the place. We've, we've definitely seen kind of winners and losers in this, in this industry. We've seen one of the most unusual and very long holiday seasons that we've ever seen starting in October. Um, we, you know, I think the last report I read, I think it was from IBM said that they believe that the e-commerce has advanced by five years. Like the percent of e-commerce shopping is five years ahead of where um, it was supposed to be. And I think in certain categories like grocery, it probably is even further ahead than in some of the other categories that were less penetrated. So it's been, it's been incredible. It's been a lot of challenges. And, um, you know, I think in terms of where it's going, I think we're all hoping, fingers crossed, that vaccines get rolled out quickly and that things can start to go back to normal. But the one thing I would really say is that while some behaviors will revert back to old practices, a lot of new behaviors are going to stick. So, you know, people ordered groceries for the first time during the pandemic, had never ordered it before. Um, I've never done that before the pandemic. Did you have a good experience? Um, you know what? It was mixed at first, and now I've found my provider, and, uh, uh, you know, it's pretty consistently good. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's not perfect. There's like fallbacks. They won't have something and then you have to figure it out. But it's it's a pretty good experience. And I think a lot of people are going to stick to things like grocery delivery. Maybe not all the time. Maybe they'll go shopping every now and then or on their way home from work when they're back in, in an office. But I think, you know, you've learned to shop online when you're busy and you don't feel like making a grocery trip. You're going to shop online. It comes the same day, the next day. It's pretty convenient. I see no and, reason to go to the grocery store to get staples any longer. You know, my wife likes to go every now and then still because she likes to shop for the produce, you know, yeah. herself and pick it out herself. Um, but, uh, you know, we only have to do that maybe once, you know, a month or twice a month. You know, we don't do it that often. And, uh, you know, most of that other stuff just, you know, is a, uh, I'm a, I'm, I'm kind of a tightwad. So I do the deliver, I do the curbside pickup because it doesn't, they don't charge for that. Yeah. Uh, but, 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 but I, but I, but I have also, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I couldn't get to curbside and I've done delivery and that was, that's actually probably a better experience in terms of getting what you want because the person picking the food calls you and tells you when the thing you want's not there and gives you options. 
Yeah. Right? Where curbside, typically, they just make the substitution and you just have to take, you know, take what you get. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's also different providers. Instacart will call you like Amazon doesn't, they make a replacement, but then they'll refund you if you don't like what you got as your replacement. So it's, it's kind of like, once you learn how to work the system, it's great. But I think this is a perfect example of a behavior that, that, people have adopted a lot of times since the pandemic and are, are gonna probably keep after the pandemic. Um, you know, people are buying furniture, big, big items without ever seeing it in person. And, you know, once you can go in person, maybe you'll wanna go sit on the sofa before you buy it. You know, maybe you'll try on more clothes, but I think there's a lot of things that people are buying online that they're gonna keep buying online. So I don't, I don't think that that is going away anytime soon. Um, and you know, you talked about you know winners and losers uh, a little earlier. You know, I think that you know if you're selling apparel, you are probably a loser um, uh, because you're more challenged, more challenged. Yeah, yeah well, you know, definitely. I mean, especially uh, you know, like my previous employer, right? You know, where you were selling things that were really meant to wear when you went out, but there's nowhere to go. Uh, right. You know, at this point, right? So why do you need more of that stuff right now? Uh, you know, and, until there's some place to actually wear it. Right. Uh, you know, the only time I put this sport coat on, you know, which used to be on me, you know, every day is when I do an interview like this now, right? It mostly yep. just sees things around in the closet as an example. So I don't yeah. really need to replace it anytime soon because it's not getting worn that often. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's certain categories. I mean, fashion has been challenged department stores, obviously travel. So like the, the whole travel booking, but also like everything that has to do with travel luggage, all of that stuff is challenge, you know, non-athletic footwear. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not wearing shoes right now. I don't know, Scott, if you, if you have the sport coat on, if you have the shoes to go with it. Um, I, I am wearing shoes and pants. Uh, so uh, good news there. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're basically, you know, just, you know, a pair of Skechers slip-ons, you know, that, uh, you know, are more like slippers than shoes. <laughs> right. Yeah. I have my slippers on. Um, and it's just, you know, like, I think all of that's, it's, is, is, is had some challenges. And once people go back to real life, I think, I think they'll, they'll definitely go back to wearing, you know, call it more formal footwear, more fashion apparel. Although people have, you know, when you get adapt, when you adapt to casual, I think people tend to stick to it. Um, a lot of people are predicting that even when you go back to work, they're not going to be in the office five days a week. Maybe it's going to be two or three. And so as kind of the world gets more casual, as people are working from home more, I, I, I think some of the habits that we acquired during this pandemic will stick and then others will kind of hybrid and merge and, um, you know, we'll start wearing some of our fancy gowns from Neiman Marcus to parties again. I, you know, I think about, you know, uh, you know, how previous, uh, employers felt about work from home, you know, that I worked for, and they weren't really very pro uh, on that. And now that all has changed. And actually, they've proven, you know, they've proven without a doubt that it can that it can work. Uh, and oh, by the way, you can save like $10,000 a year per employee, you know, that's doing it, uh, you know, which is certainly attractive, uh, uh, you know, to the CFO anyway. Um, and, uh, you know, what? obviously, uh, long term, that's going to uh, impact other areas outside of retail, like commercial real estate and that sort of thing, are, uh, you know, probably got some changes uh, coming along better. Uh, I, I have a question, Veronica, uh, in regards to, to your business, like from your business standpoint, which is, you know, so strong in, in terms of relationships. Do you think, I've been doing a lot of events here in Europe as well. Have you heard of VTEX? 
Um, they're they're going strong now into the yeah. They're a sponsor of ours at Commerce Next. Have they? Cool, cool. So um, Mariano, who, who's the founder, uh, I worked a lot with him here in the. Well, I'm based in Denmark, but in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering, you know, like about events now. What what do you think? Do you think like people are going to change their behaviors? I mean, you as an event owner, do you think you have to prepare? and be more cautious, you know, uh, to like, as you, you know, to show that you're following um, procedures, you know, health procedures from, from now on, even, even, even after the vaccine, how do you see that? I mean, I think we always have to be, gosh, we have to be responsible, right? Like, you know, we want to put people in a very, in a safe environment. We want people Mm -hmm. to be able to network and make contacts and feel like they're safe doing that. You know, to be honest, I have no idea what the world will look like when we go back to in-person. I, I Like, you know, when we have our physical event in August, are people going to be wearing masks? Is it just a matter of having like Lysol and like Purell everywhere? I, I'm not sure. But whatever the, the, the protocols are, we're going to follow them. Um, you know, even like there's there's a lot of open questions. Like, are we mm. going to have are people who had the vaccine going to have some sort of digital card to show that they've been vaccinated? Like, right. I think there's so many things that are unknown. Yeah. But in Denmark, they were talking about a, a, like a passport or some kind of some kind of stamp from now on that you would have you would need. You know, like a, like a digital passport. <laughs> it was just like yeah. Jesus. It, uh, yeah, they're, they're already giving out some sort of printed card just so you know you know you have proof for the. Inoc- you know, the booster inoculation, but, you know, obviously that's something that could also probably be fairly easily uh, uh, copied, you know, it could be not legit, right? You know, so yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll have to find some better ways, just like a driver's license uh, works. Mm-hmm. I, I know there's already, uh, you know, uh, an app, uh, you yeah. know, but, uh, mm-hmm. for iPhone, uh, for example, that's supposed yeah. to. I have one for Android too, for New Jersey. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, it, it, it appears like, you know, if you want to do any, uh, travel, you know, over the next year, especially if it, you know, is international, that you're going to have to have some sort of credentials like that, right, to uh, to be able to move about the world. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to kind of see. I don't know, Carlos, is is the is a short answer, but I can tell you from as an event organizer, the one thing that we're thinking about is not everyone's going to be comfortable meeting in person. So, mm-hmm. so we move very quickly from from physical events to digital events. Um, everything like from our um, our conference, which was done virtually, mm-hmm. to um, the webinar series that I mentioned, to the dinners, we actually converted to virtual lunch and learns. So, like sending everyone a gift card to DoorDash and having them order their own lunch and getting on a call and and doing something. It's not the same, but similar. Trying to share experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, we've moved that to virtual too. So then, you know, as people can get back together in person, I think the smaller events will kind of kick off first because they're probably a little safer. And then the bigger events will likely move to like a hybrid model where um, we have a bunch of people who are together in person. And then for people who um, are in remote locations or just don't wanna meet in person at this stage or go to big group gatherings, they can watch the content um, streamed you know, to their computer, wherever they are. Right, and, 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 and about experience like how, 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 because I've, I've been doing a lot of webinars as a one-man band, you know, yeah. <laughs> this year, and they work fine, uh, but still, um, like, getting people engaged and everyone participating of your webinar, you know, event, uh, online event, 
what what have you done? What have you guys done? I'm really curious. I wanted to know that, um, you know, f with your guests and from a marketing perspective as well. Yeah, we, you know, so I, I have to say, like, we've been like very walk, crawl, run. Um, so we started our webinars. They were um, initially, you know, just slides and voice. Mm -hmm. We didn't even put people on video. And then we kind of moved to video like this. And then, um, and then now they're, they're pretty interactive. Um, you know, the, we did a happy hour on Zoom and we had the founder of House on there and she talked about imperatives and we sent everyone a bottle of House and, and they got to try it and ask her questions. And for this, um, we actually switched platforms. So actually I keep saying this summit, but let me kind of say what this summit is. So Commerce Next is having a, our marketing summit series in January. It starts on January 20th. Um, it's January 20th, 27th and um, February 3rd. Um, and then we have bonus tracks on the 22nd and the 29th, which are the Fridays in between. Um, what we've learned in doing virtual events is one, they're more fluid than physical events. So if you have to fly to Napa Valley to attend an innovation summit, you know, we're gonna give you everything you need in two days so that you can then fly home because you don't wanna come back the next week. Well, if you're taking the conference from your living room, it's much more integrated with work. You might be taking calls during the day, you might be just tuning in for the speakers that are most interesting to you and then doing other things um, during the other sessions. So we did it as a series. Um, we normally do our webinars on Wednesday, so it's an extended Wednesday format. And then what we're, um, what we're doing is we, we actually license a new platform that allows us to do a lot more interactive things. So uh -huh. we have roundtable discussions built in to the actual summit. So during there's breaks where there's actually roundtable discussions, we're doing happy hours with like cocktails and wine tasting and chocolate tasting. And then um, we're doing these coffee chats with speakers where the speakers, you can ask them questions. We can bring the audience on camera, just as if someone brought you a mic and you could ask a question in the audience, you could ask a question, be brought on camera and then go back to your seat. Um, and, and, and we're trying, and we're also doing one-on-one -on -one meetings. That's the other thing that's part of it. Um, right. Not, not necessarily with solution providers, but we really think everyone, um, can be a mentor and an expert as well as probably needs a mentor and an expert in a certain area. So we've kind of asked people like what their pain points and challenges are, and we're trying to match them up with other people and, and set up these one-on-ones that are yeah, like mentoring and hmm? that'll be, these are virtual video enabled. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. On the platform we're using on Hopin, we're doing, we're setting them up as one-on-one -on -one meetings. And yeah. what's, the name, what's the name of the platform again? Hopin, H-O-P-I-N. Okay, interesting. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I, we, I looked at, you know, I've done some virtual conferences, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, that's the only kind that are kind of going on. So I've done several over the year, uh, this last year. And, and, you know, some of those platforms were better than others, you know, I'd yeah. say what they enabled, but they were all, uh, uh, they were trying, you know, they're all trying to do the same thing, which was replicated in person event right number one and 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 the you know trying to do that was very near and dear to my heart because you know that the the gig i've got at powerfront today tries to do that for chat and messaging as an example right so uh you know it was very much adjacent uh uh to things i was very interested in and working on uh, day to day so i'd be interested to have a look at the the one uh, uh that you guys are are working yeah. with really interesting. Hap we're happy to do a debrief afterwards to tell you what we've learned i mean we've done a whole search you know i'm not I'm not sure we picked the best one, but I, the benefit of it was it had a lot more interactive capabilities than, than we were getting on the 
on the one that we do our webinars on. It's great for webinars, but it just doesn't have that that interactive capability that we wanted. And right. like, you know, people are, you know, nothing, the fact that we're home hasn't changed the fact that you still, you know, want advice from your peers and want a way to have a conversation with them. So we're just trying to find creative ways of making that happen. Well, you know, thinking about, you know, how, uh, you know, for instance, the pandemic has changed curb, you know, our grocery shopping, you know, to, you know, curbside and delivery and all this other stuff. Uh, and, and here you are talking about how, you know, the, you know, the way conferences are done are, are completely different now. Uh, and, you know, I think the same thing's true. You know, some things will go back to the way they were and some things won't. Uh, you know, for one thing, I think it's probably very attractive to companies to not have to pay for travel uh, uh, for conferences, to be quite honest. Uh, on the other hand, there are some benefit to the actual face-to-face -face, yeah. uh, uh, interaction, right? So what happens to the super conferences when we, when, you know, when things return back to normal, the NRFs and the CESs and the, you know, these kinds of, you know, these very large scale shows, um, are they going to go right back to the way they were or is, are they changed for fundamentally forever as well? I don't think anything is forever, but I do think that, I mean, look, I think that as shows get bigger, they become less relevant. I've always felt like that because um, it's hard to be, you know, something to everybody. Um, I think depending on how much they kind of create streams of, of content and streams of networking that are, that create more relevant in, interactions, that it's going to depend on how, how much they're able to scale. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I think that those conferences were... Like every time people go to NRF, they're tired and they're like, oh, I don't know why it went. And I think as conferences get bigger, people people always talk about, they like the, with Commerce Next as we were scaling, we just kind of rewind back. With Commerce Next as we were scaling, one of the positive things we always got is people felt like it was a community and they knew everybody and they felt like it had this like very boutique feel. And we were always trying to figure out how to continue to make that feeling as we got bigger. So we would try to create these like serendipitous connections and smaller events within event to kind of create that community and networking. So I think if they can kind of figure out how to create smaller communities and not be a one size fits all t-shirt that doesn't fit anybody, you know, then mm -hmm. it will be successful. If they kind of pump out the same stuff to everybody, then I think people will stop going. You know, I think my aha moment, uh, you know, almost every time it say like NRF was, you know, always in the back corner of the lower hall, you know, kind of the cheap seats, uh, you know, in terms of what it cost. You know, <laughs> uh, you know that, that's where you found the, you know, the, oh my God, I, what are you guys doing? I've never seen this before, you know? So, uh, you know, I think the challenge, you know, and I guess I would, you know, put to you, how do you, how do you replicate that, you know, uh, that treasure, you know, that finding those treasures, uh, you know, in a virtual event? Uh, like a lot more work. Yeah. It's a lot more work because it requires people to kind of fill out information and mm -hmm. you help navigate them because it's that discovery is harder to it's harder to recreate in a virtual world. Yeah, got it. Yeah, you know, I'd have to, you know, you know, obviously, I, you know, I'd, I'd spend time with the big guys, the IBMs and the Oracles, and and you know all that stuff. But you know, it's uh, uh, typically I already knew you already knew what they were up to. Right. You know, yeah. with them, it was more about just keeping the relationship going and making sure that, you know, you had the right resources, uh, you know, for the next year and, you know, all that sort of thing, uh, you know, where, you know, when, like I said, truly trying to find something innovative and new. Yeah, uh, that was uh, that was more of a treasure hunt. Uh, yeah. you know, like that. 
Uh, Veronica, what's the role of LinkedIn? Because I, I mean, you're because we've connected and and I see you all the time there. It's probably your main channel, like for marketing and relationships as well as as your existing relationships, right? Because I, I, I believe yeah. that you, you probably leverage a lot of your uh, existing uh, relationships to maybe get introductions, but LinkedIn. Uh, does that help you in, in absolutely I mean we use LinkedIn all the time we're always yeah. trying to figure out, <laughs> we're always trying to figure out how to like um, improve the algorithms I'm glad you see me Carlos because sometimes I feel like you know there's some posts they get a lot of views and then there's other things you're like oh how do I get attention that they change things like hard. yeah <laughs> using more video trying to post at different times cross post cross tag post mm -hmm. behind the scenes we always try to do behind the scenes photos because I find that those are popular. So we're always trying to figure out like how to create engaging experiences on platforms that are digital. And, you know, the, it's easiest to find people on LinkedIn from a um, business community perspective. Instagram as well for you or, or no, I haven't checked you. No. Yeah. We have a small Instagram presence. We do update it, but it's not. So Instagram is interesting. Like we interact with the brands, but like we're interacting with their brand social teams. That's not usually who we work with, but we still post there because people look there and um, mm, I think mm. our, our core is still very much LinkedIn. Yeah. A little bit Twitter, but the retail industry is not like tech for Twitter. Yeah. They're not, Most, they're not yeah. Twitter. It's mostly developers, I think, on Twitter, right? Politics, developers, media, yeah. but it's not like, I, I mean, I, I don't know a lot of retail execs who spend time on Twitter. So sure we're there, politics. but. Hmm? I said it was sure as heck all politics today. Yeah. <laughs> we'll skip uh, that. On, yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, uh, you know, I, I think we're running short on time. So let's end up on my favorite topic, innovation, uh, which is the whole reason we got to meet in the first place. Right. That's I was right. Uh, uh, doing retail innovation and, and you were connecting, you know, uh, providers and, and, and uh, brands together uh, with innovative solutions uh, at the time. Uh, so, you know, we've seen a lot of momentum driven by the pandemic and the you know changing of uh uh, you know, uh, uh, the move from in-person, you know, physical retail to, uh, you know, either a hybrid or all digital uh, uh, approach to selling. So where's the, where are the big innovation plays that you've seen uh, as you've talked to re uh, retailers and brands uh, via your relationship uh, with them uh, through Commerce Next? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, so I, it's probably not going to be surprising, but I think it all has to do with where people are interacting. So the areas that we've seen like momentum in the retail space, and I wouldn't say that they're like the most innovative areas, but the way the places where people are kind of focusing is like pay over time solutions. This is kind of, you know, somewhat good. of a factor of, a, of, a, of the economy, somewhat of a factor of just how like younger generations want to pay for things. So yep. the afterpays, the firms, the Klarna's of the world. Then I, I've seen a lot of people embracing text messaging. I think that's partially just also a little bit of a behavioral change the younger demographics not checking email as much as their text messaging um curbside you know it'll be interesting scott you know you've had a great experience with curbside how much people stick with it post pandemic but curbside's become incredibly popular so anything that enables curbside including by the way fraud prevention because curbside what i've learned is very fraud prone because of the fact you know like if you stole a credit card and you wouldn't ship things to your own address because obviously they could find you, right? Mm. But if you stole a credit card, 
you can pick it up with curbside. And if they didn't check your ID, it's pretty easy to commit fraud. So there's, there's providers that help with the fraud aspect of curbside, but that's obviously been a huge area of growth. Um, and then probably the most interesting, but a little bit less in the adoption area is augmented reality. And that's partially, I think, replacing some of the at home aspects. So trying on makeup when you can't try it on in store, you know, seeing how that couch or chair might look in your house. Um, you know, that's an area that we've seen some growth in as well. Excellent. And I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that the pay over time things are uh, uh, picking up. Uh, that was something I championed even, you know, back on the name of Marcus days. And even uh, uh, after pay was, uh, I bought their stock. So, uh, and I can tell you it's doing very well. Uh, apparently the, you know, pay over time thing is working. Yeah, uh, you know, and I've got like a like like uh, there's one called Save Away that's sort of like a self-paced layaway uh, yeah. uh, kind of thing that's interesting uh, as well. So there's yeah, there's a lot of interesting things happening uh, uh, in that area. All right, well, uh, I, you know, I think that uh, uh, we've taken up uh, enough of your time uh, for today. Uh, you know, so I want to thank you very very much uh, for taking time out of your busy day to uh, to join us and. Uh, uh, share some insights, and uh, uh, we hope uh, that we get to have you back uh, in the future. Uh, and uh, uh, we uh, want to make sure that uh, when we post uh, uh, the link to this, uh, that we include the information uh, for your uh, upcoming conference. Uh, yeah, as well. absolutely. Uh, maybe you'd like to to advertise that again or talk about it again. Once yeah, I'm happy to do a quick a quick yeah. take on it. So. Uh, it's a Commerce Next Marketing Summit series. It's going to take place over three Wednesdays, January 20th, 27th, and February 3rd, with bonus tracks on the Fridays in between the 22nd and the 29th. Um, there's 35 sessions. There's amazing speakers, 25 C-level plus brands, um, over 50 speakers overall. You'll hear from companies like Sephora, Wayfair, J. Crew. Champs, eSpace, StockX, 1-800-Flowers. Um, it's going to be a really great event. And, you know, the way that we're looking at it is it's helping retailers to get 2021 off on a smart start. So join us. And we promise that you'll have a lot of, you'll learn a lot about new marketing strategies, but you'll also meet a lot of interesting people. And, okay. and I'll just say from personal experience, having attended uh, multiple uh, Commerce Next uh, events that they're top notch. So uh, if you haven't done one before, you should you should uh, take Veronica's invitation uh, up and uh, and join in. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. Fantastic. Um, thank you very much, Veronica. I'll try to uh, put this up to speed. So yeah, we can we can make some buzz here from Europe. Thank you so much. Awesome. Absolutely. Scott, it was good to catch up with you. It was nice to see you. Nice Carlos, to see you. Carlos, so nice well. to meet you. Yeah, likewise. Likewise. Great to talk to anybody but you know myself my spouse and carlos uh, you know it's uh, uh <laughs> i spent a lot of time talking to my dogs i totally get it <laughs> <laughs> all right have Good. a great day thank Bye. you